You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, yeah, we've all seen the images uh, going around the world this week as uh, a crisis beyond imagination has happened in Christchurch this week and our hearts go out to uh, just the family and friends uh, who've lost loved ones over there. Uh, It's just been unbelievable to see the devastation that's been wrought on that incredible city. And the thing that's gotten me was the the image that seemed to be travelling around the world most was... uh, uh, just the devastation of the beautiful spire of the Christchurch Cathedral. And, uh, and I thought in some respects it's, it's almost symbolic in the media of uh, the church today. On, on one hand there seems uh, to be this degrading, this uh, pulling down, this uh, destruction of the church. Uh, it seems to be in crisis, it seems to be in ruins, it seems to be in rubble, it seems to be in the place as, as one study in the Herald uh, yesterday said about a 47-year-old priest who'd said, given the state of the church today, I look forward to the night when I go to sleep and just don't wake up again. You know, here's the irony. The same press that is reporting that reports this morning that there's signs of glimmer and hope. Uh, That that this church that has been so incredibly damaged by this quake uh, won't be held back and will be continuing to meet on lawns and in people's houses. And and this same press that um, is is trying to come to grips with the incredible tragedy over there has looked to one thing for its source of hope and its source of light, the church. If ever there was a, a, a time in the world in which it needs the church, it's now. You see, what we've been learning is the, the church, church is just more than a building. Church is more than a construction of human systems. Church is more than a religious exercise. It's a thing that brings light and love and hope into the world. It's the very essence of the, that which the people in crisis, particularly there in Christchurch, long for hope, community, love, a power beyond themselves. So the question is, is it for Christians only? Is this a process that's just to gather, look, is this just to gather us together, ensure that, that we maintain our survival, that it's just the survival of our own special little club for the years to come, or is it more than that? You see, Jesus' purpose from the passage that we'll read tonight is to say that his church, and it's interesting because we've been reading from people like Peter and from Paul, and what we see from Jesus, you know, Matthew is up on top of the hill and he's chatting with Peter, and, and Peter says, you're the son of God, uh, the, the, the living one, the Christ, and he says, upon this rock I'll build my church. You see, to deny the building and the growth and the advancement of his church would be to deny the very lordship of Jesus himself. It's Jesus' purpose that we gather here this evening. It's Jesus' purpose that we do church. And guys, the world needs it. Let's read from Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to head into a section of the best sermon that was ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And here Jesus talks about salt and light. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, How can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. 
You see, Jesus' declaration in this Sermon on the Mount is not just a declaration of who his followers are, of salt, but more specifically that we'll look at tonight, light. But it's also initially a declaration or a comment on the state in which the world we live. Left to itself, the world's going to darken. Left to itself, it's going to darken, not physically, but spiritually. Left to itself, the world's going to go dark. Societies lose their ways. They take the wrong turn. They go into even deeper darkness. Things become muddled. Uh, Things that were once right, if it feels good enough, uh, well... If, if they become wrong and if, uh, and if right becomes old-fashioned, well, we become vulnerable to the latest fads and we, we run towards the latest flicker of light that promises healing and warmth wherever it might come from. Left to itself, the world, it grows dark. Utter darkness. When you do that, I don't know about you, but you bump into walls, you become disoriented, disorientated. What Jesus is saying is that the world needs light and when it goes dark, then it's, it's going to be left to greater levels of disorder and dislocation and disintegration. Why? That's the second law of thermodynamics, of course. Entropy. You see, what, what, Jesus, is, what, what Jesus is getting at, and we'll see from this passage, is that that the world is always falling apart. Entropy is a process from which the, the, the entire universe is always moving from order into chaos. And what Jesus is saying, particularly in the bringing into this new community at this Sermon on the Mount, is he says, uh, well, you'll look around, you, you'll always experience relational entropy. Relationships are always tearing them apart, themselves apart. You know that if you're a leader in the church, you're always trying to get people to stay together. Relationships take a huge effort. The world is dark, yet the good news is that light has broken into the world. Light has broken into the world like that rubble that's been lifted off people and, and, and God has, has broken in and the good news is that God will not leave the world to itself and God, the God of the universe, is pro- provides a light for the world. And the surprising thing is that that turns out to be us. Ordinary, everyday, mucked up, broken disciples... So what we have to understand is that this, this incredible Sermon on the Mount is not just this, it's not just this sermon on these incredible ethical prescriptions on what you must do in terms of how you must live. But Jesus is coming and he's saying, I'm here to bring about the next stage of creation, true community. And part of the reasons that all your relationships have been unravelling, part of the reason that there's this relational entropy is because your relationship from me has unravelled. And I've come to write that again. Jesus said, I'm here to weave you into to a new society, a new counterculture, a new community. What's that supposed to be? What it, what's it supposed to look like? First of all, he says that his new community, his church, is to be attractive to the world. Jesus' purpose is that his people are visible. It says here that you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, you can imagine the context in which he's saying this here. He could have been saying this down there in Galilee. It could have been nighttime. It wasn't a very uh, large lake in that sense, maybe 14 plus k's across to the other side. And there would have been a range of these incredible cities that at nighttime you would see clearly across the distance. I mean, I've been to Lake Tahoe in California and that's uh, 40 something k's to the end of it. And I could still see the gondola on the top of Heavenly Ski Resort. Talk about a light on the hill. I was supposed to go there skiing the next day. The purpose of his people is to be a city. To be a city on a hill. Christians are called to be an alternate city on every city. How do you do that? 
It means we're a graft of just the city of which we're a part of. You take a cross-section of our entire society, we should be seeing all sorts of people in this place. From the highest ends to the lowest ends, to the left-hand side, to the right-hand side, this community, this city on a hill should represent that. It should be a, a city within a city, but it should also need to model, in order to do that, it should model the ultimate ways to do everything. If he's creating a new humanity, Jesus is saying, I've come to show the world how humanity is meant to be. Not just fellowship, not just turning up on Sundays, but show you how to do business and economic life and race relations and multi-ethnic community, multi-gender community, socio-economic differences. The community of Jesus is to be visible and attractive to the world. How? It says to let your good deeds shine before people. I'm thinking, look, no... No one likes a show-off. No one likes a show-off. And, and that's not what he's getting at here because the word Carlos, uh, good deeds, actually means attractive. It's, it, it means beautiful by reason of purity of heart and life and therefore hence praiseworthy. Now, so well, that's what he's saying. We're meant to be attractive to the world, but look, come on, let's be real with each other. Even, even Christians can find some other Christians and their behaviour a little bit off-putting from time to time in the world. I mean, maybe that's part of your struggle in your workplace is that you've overheard people talking about Christians. Here we go, another God botherer. Have a listen to what this one says. Oh my goodness, you wouldn't believe what this one's writing on the blog now. Like, uh, the Chris, sometimes Christian behaviour is the thing that is uh, causing us the most grief. What, the question is, what makes an attractive Christian? And I'm not talking about getting a heap of makeup on and getting a haircut and all that sort of stuff. I mean, what, what, are, we, what are we... Are we to be like the world? No. Look, using, using his salt analogy, Jesus is saying if the salt loses its saltiness, then it's of no use. It's of no purpose. Why? Because we heard in the first week of this series that God's mission, God's purpose is to create a new community of people that show the world his glory by being totally and utterly different. But it's a different type of difference. It's not the sort of difference that's judgmental and in your face and off-putting. It's this sort of difference. You know, it's like a little girl that was walking through a cathedral and she pointed up at the stained glass windows and she said, Mummy, who are they? All these pictures of people up there. The mum said, Oh, well, darling, that's the saints. And she said, Oh, I know who the saints are now. They're the ones in which the light shines through them. You see, our job... Our job is to allow the light of God to shine in and through us. We need a godly transparency in our life, not a duplicity. Not, not a type of life in the workplace and another type of life here on a Sunday. Godly transparency. Now, why is that so difficult? Why do we struggle? Why do we come up again? I don't, I don't know. Is that your experience? Why is it so difficult to be brave about our true identity as the light of the world? It's because the visible community of Jesus demonstrates a reversal of the values of the world. If Jesus was talking about creating a, cult, a counterculture, something is upside down to the culture of the world, there's lots of ways you could describe culture in terms of art and music, but, but at, at essence, culture is a, is a set of values that pervades every part of life. And that's why some have declared the Beatitudes, the, the bits in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, the bits that came right before this reading, some people declare those the absolute pinnacle of ethical life. Even the great philosophers of the world, and we look at that and we go, it's totally up against what the world believes. Look, in the same way uh, in 
Luke's version of the same sermon, Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain, a lot of similarities here. Look at uh, what it says in Luke chapter 6 in those these standards for living, he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom. Blessed are you who hunger. Blessed are you who weep. Blessed are you when men hate you and they exclude you. And then he goes on to say, But woe to you who are rich, for you've received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed, for you'll go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, who gloat now, for you'll mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, when you've got a great reputation. Well, look, what's Jesus saying here? Jesus is showing us the values of the different cultures. The culture of the world says it espouses towards power. Woe to you who are rich. Uh, it, it espouses towards comfort, espouses towards reputation. And Jesus says, my kingdom's one of weakness and of sacrifice and of grief and exclusion. Uh, what, what's, what's, he, what's he doing here? He's saying the, the things that the world admires, I don't, I don't care about. And the things that the world doesn't care about, I care about. It's totally upside down. It's totally against it. And so here are the things Jesus says that he treasures. Weakness, sacrifice, grief, exclusion. Hey, anyone want to join Jesus' community? <laughs> see, see, that's why it's so hard to come up against because his values don't come naturally. But Jesus says, when you enter into a relationship with me, I, I come and give you a radical freedom, a radical power that allows you to move beyond the desires for power and for comfort and success and for reputation. Jesus said, I'm the one that gives you the power to live in this upside down world. Believe it or not, when you come into, the, believe it or not, when you come into his community, when you come in to be a part of this, when you come in to own this, the batteries are included. I mean, how many times have we picked the toys off the shelf and uh, it's a dud. You've got to, it's, it's got to be powered. Jesus gives you the power to do this. And when it gets into your head and your heart, it changes everything about you. How does it change it about you? Well, let me touch on this briefly. What about loving your enemies for a start? Love, loving your enemies? He goes on to say, you've heard it said, but I say, you see... Religious people, they're, they're worried about the externalities, all the stuff that I've got to do when I go to church. Look, just tell me the people I have to get along with, and as long as I don't smack them around the head, then we're, we're okay here. But, but, but he goes far deeper than that. Jesus understands. He understands how tough it is to, to, to live out this godly life and, 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 and to, to live out the commands that he gives us before. Look, in a society where, where the minute someone wrongs you, what do you do? Sue, right? If the minute someone hurts you, you sue. You take them for all it's worth. Now, look, tell me, when you're inside a courtroom and you're arguing across that, some of you are lawyers, you might understand what that's all about. You might argue for people. Um, Is there ever any hope of a restored relationship by the time you get to that point? Why do you think Jesus says, if you've got any gripes with your brothers and sisters, sort it out on on the steps of court before you get there. Otherwise, the judge might throw you in jail. What Jesus is saying here is it's, it's, it's not just enough to refrain from paying someone back nor simply giving in and, and, and having someone beat you to a pulp by turning the other cheek. That's not what he's saying there. Turn the other cheek? What's he, what's he saying? Uh, when, they, when they used to greet each other back in Jesus' day, they would kiss each other on the cheek, very European almost. Mwah, mwah. Hey, what, what, what he's saying is, is look, don't, don't sue. Hold, hold out for the hope that someone might kiss you. Hold out for the hope of relationship. In a world of relational entropy where it's ripping itself apart, Jesus says, don't you dare refrain 
from getting back at someone just externally by not getting your hands out of your pockets and getting to fisticuffs. When you look at a person that is wrong, do you treat them with love and forgiveness? Uh, not as inferiors, but as people who you wish to will their good. That, that's radical. Can you imagine a community that's so tightly, tightly knit in the lordship of Jesus, the attitude towards their enemies is to desire their goodwill? When, when you find a community of that, then you've found the community of Jesus, the community that he's died to create, the, 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 the community that he's come to create, the community that he calls you into tonight. And where else do you see that except in the church, in a world of relational entropy, in a world that's tearing itself apart, in a world that's so eager to sue, rather than say sorry, in the church you see forgiveness and re- reconciliation. You know what that means? I've said this before. It means that the quality of our community will be the secret to the success of our mission to the world. Why? Because the community is not only a result of the gospel, but in itself it's a communication of the gospel. Ah, look, the visible community of Jesus communicates the nature and the power of his gospel. When, when the world sees people who never do life ordinarily together, we see people of different races and different socioeconomic status demonstrating love and forgiveness and care for each other. When they see that exceptional community, they say, I want to be a part of that. Wouldn't you? You see, when the world sees exceptional community, it not only makes them want to be part of it, attracted to it, but it convinces them the truth of Jesus' message, that light has broken into the world to create a whole new community, a new humanity. Look, it's a Macca's principle. Like, you've been there. You've been driving for two hours and, and you're starving and you're on the way up the coast and the light's getting a bit dark and it gets darker and darker and, and then on the horizon, it's like a light emerges out of the darkness and you see the, the golden arches and they emerge as this picture of, of hope on the horizon. Blessed are those who hunger, by the way. And... And you get there and you drive and you see these golden arches. You know everything that it represents. You can smell the smell of the oil in your nose before you even get there. You know what it represents. But have you ever had this experience as you get there? You, you walk in and you see a bunch of 14-year-olds throwing your meat patty that you're about to eat across the kitchen. And, uh, and there's a girl that's talking to a friend on the mobile phone and, and she's chewing on a bit of gum and she goes, Can I take your order? You see, the, uh, the quality of the experience doesn't represent all the hope and the wonder that those lights represented. <laughs> okay, what, I'm trying, what I'm trying to say here as a community, when, when you're turning up to church, you're coming up with a hard attitude that's sitting here at church going, can I thank you, Rona? Guys, we've got something more, more wonderful and fantastic here to offer the world than burgers and fries. <laughs> Changed and transformed lives. The church is to be a visible hope far brighter, far greater, far more recognisable than the golden arches. But the quality of the community has to be congruent with what the world expects the experience to be. Love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. We've got to be attractive to the world. But finally, we've got to be attracted to the world. Look, how has this not just been an exercise to make us turn up to church more? That's you're saying to me, how's this whole for? I know what you're at, Sam. You just, you just wanted to get us to turn up a bit more. Look, 
Well, the word of God says here is that his church is meant to move out into positions of visibility. It's not meant to be hiding underneath the bowl. You know, the, the question in that too is how are we to relate to the world around us? You see, some, some churches take the flight mode. Even in Jesus' day, there was aspects of the church called the Essenes who had the flight mode, and they just ran off into the desert because they were worried that they weren't going to be holy enough and they, if they stayed around in Jerusalem. Are you going to be the sort of person or the sort of church that just uh, floats off into the horizon and, and we, we, we run away from the world? And then, of course, there's the churches that want to fight the world. Let's get a petition going. Let's, uh, let's make some judgments. Let's um, tell them now how they should be living and let's make it loud and clear and we'll get blogs and we'll get posts and we'll, we'll get the whole, we're going to fight the world. And then there's the churches that want to join the world. They take Paul's sort of all things to all men a little bit too far. And there's absolutely no distinction, hey, if the salt loses its saltiness. But Jesus calls us as a church to transform the world, to move out, to, to, to be amongst it, to be amongst people and transform it. That's how we're to relate to the world. See, God's purpose is that we must be in a position where our light is not only visible, but it pushes into the world. It means that the church can't hide under the bowls of Christian schools and Christian social groups and church walls. And Christian social groups, why not? Because the church is the only organisation in the world that doesn't exist for its own sake. And so what is our role in that? Look, quickly, light. what does light do in the world? Light illuminates. Your mere presence in the world is to illuminate the darkness around you. You chuck a candle in the room, it moves to every corner of the entire room. Either way, you know, and sometimes people don't like that when they get up in your face, as I've discovered from time to time at, at weddings and receptions when you get alongside people. Sometimes being the light of the world isn't all that fun. But either way, we're there to illuminate the dishonest practices in business and the loose talk and, and the gossip at the secretarial desk and the racial prejudice and positively, we're supposed to be the illuminating, illuminating presence of God. We're supposed to just let people know that there is a God, that there is something greater than them, whether we meet in buildings or on the grassland of a city that's in crisis this evening. Where to illuminate. My question is, is your life so beautiful that without even thinking, it shows up what's around you? We said before, look, if people are having a go at you, our aim in life is to be so like and so true to the nature and character of Jesus that they're not having a go at you, they're having a go at him. Is that the nature of your life? Light also guides, it's to lead people out of the darkness into God's wonderful light. You know, if you're really the light of the world, then, have you, then what it means is that you've been placed into your life situation, into your job sector, into your family, in order to guide people into the way that life is meant to be. Something about the way that you work or treat other people or speak. You know, and the challenge for us is we're going to constantly have to be assessing ourselves on the, the spectrum of being in the world but not of it. That's the difficulty and it's a grey zone, it's a spectrum. And so the trick is that we don't end up at either ends of two extremes. That is firstly to resist the temptation to turn inward and get too preoccupied with our own well-being, become a holy huddle. Light's no use if it's hidden under the bowl. And the minute we as a church begin to ask, well, how are we doing about our own survival? Then we've missed the point entirely. God's the great provider. God's going to continue to grow his church. It's his purpose. And we've seen that time and time again in this place and the way that this church has stepped out in faith and the way that God has grown this place. But then also the other end of the spectrum is that we accommodate ourselves too much to the values and the agendas of the world. You know, we can tend to try and water down the message. 
We try and blunt the sharp edge of grace. Salt gives flavour to meat and preserves the decay by being different and light sheds light into the world and pushes away the darkness. Let let me put it in practical terms. And they're here tonight. I hope they're not too embarrassed by this story, but I've said exactly what this is supposed to mean. I was with two friends on Tuesday night and they shot me a text message and they said, why don't you come around the corner? And uh, we're we're still celebrating a birthday. We're having a couple of drinks and they're they're there and... um, and the, the night's been moving on and a few of their friends had been having plenty of fun by that stage. It was a little bit later on in the evening and, um, and, I, and I walked in and I'd never met them before and the first thing they say, introducing to all their friends, is they say, hey, this is, this is Sam, he's our pastor. And one of the girls goes, oh, sh-. Can't, can't say that word, but... <laughs> oh, God, sorry. And, and so we're having, we have, we're having an absolute ball and so we're, we're talking there and then one of the guys next to me, he'd obviously had a great night as well because he was nuzzling right up next to me and we were, we were just uh, great mates already. And, and he said, oh, you're from that north side. Oh, yeah, yeah, all those other guys that came to that, what do you call it, connect group or whatever? Yeah, I went to one of those. And he, he was their next door neighbour or just about that lived in the floor below them. You see, that's our church. Not, not in the world, but not of it, but, but, but just one example of many of amazing people in this place that seek to take the light of God into their world, seek to come alongside people, not to get too caught up in the should I, shouldn't I, but simply being unafraid to allow their light shine in the darkness. We're distinct from the world for the world, I've said. When the church is different from the world, it utterly attracts it. So how do we play this out? Look. Look, in, the, in that way, all I want to ask you tonight is how many intentional relationships do you have with non-Christians in your life? What are you doing to illuminate their world through your behavior? What are you doing to guide them into the truth? You see, the greatest risk that we have in such a great and authentic and a close community in this place is we never move beyond ourselves. We, get st- we stay hidden under the bowl. We're not on the stand. We become a holy huddle. We're not amongst people. And as I said before, look, God's a spiritual tornado. He only sucks you in in order to fling you back out. And that's what we see in this place. It means the whole purpose of the gathering of God's people is to send them back out into the world. And so tonight, if we've learned, if, if you're to be part of a visible community, a city on the hill moving into the world around you to be, be the light of the world, then what's stopping you? Is it Approval? Is it getting worried about what your workmates might say? Hey, maybe just for that point in time that the approval of someone next to you is more important than the approval that we know in our heads we have from Jesus Christ. Is it identity? Because, hey, the career is important and the career is making me who I am and if I'm the light of the world in the workplace, then that could damage my career. Maybe at that point in time, your identity of the world around you is more important to you than the identity that you know you have in Jesus. How do, how do we move out? How do we stop being inside of ourselves? How do, how do we move out into that world? Well, Bondi Rescue. I've always wondered with those lifesavers why they, and who wouldn't want a job like that? Of course, you'd just be sitting on the sand or the sun and lapping it up and living it up and going for a bit of a paddle. But I never sort of fully understood what would make a guy or a girl run out into 15-foot surf and risk their own lives in order to pull someone back in. I think it's because one point or another, because of their experience of what they've seen, they know what it's like to be drowning and to be saved. 
Anyone that's ever called himself a Christian understands exactly what that means. See, Jesus Christ is the great lifesaver. Jesus Christ is the one that ran out into a surf in a world in which we were drowning. We didn't even know we were drowning. And through his death on the cross was the one that allowed us to prop ourselves up on top of him until he traveled further and further and further under the water and lost his life so we could gain a life. They know what it means to have been drowning, to have been saved. And so what we know tonight is that you've been saved to help save others, not some make on a beach somewhere. When we see his example of the way that he moved out, moved out of something wonderfully comfortable, eternal relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit in order to save us. Look, have you been saved? Do you even know you're drowning tonight? You might not feel like you're drowning. You could be stuck in a rip. But Jesus is a great lifesaver who's given up his life so you can save others. For Christians only, come on. The church is the people of God. Church is the gathering of Jesus. Church is the dwelling place of God. Church is the light of the world, casting his light into the darkness around us. Do you, do you know that? Do you get that tonight? I pray you do. Let's pray. Lord, after four weeks, there's still questions, there's still hesitations, there's still things we don't get. But Lord, tonight, we want, we want to declare our identity in you as a city on a hill. Father, we want to be a shining light for the community that's in and around us. Lord, we, want, we don't want to have behavior, we don't want to do things from a legalistic perspective, but we simply want to reflect your light for the world that's in and around us. In the silence now, Father God, I just, uh, I just want us as a church to lift up to you the people, the people in our lives. It could be a workmate. It could be a best friend. It could be a client. It could be a neighbor. There are people there, Father, that don't and haven't experienced the wonder and the joy that it is to be saved by your son, Jesus. There are people stuck in situations and darkness that they can't pull themselves out of. And so, Lord, we ask tonight that through us, you might be able to move just deeper into their circumstances. That through a conversation, through a chance gathering, through deliberate community building, through an invitation, through a challenge, Lord, they might come to realize what it is to have that light in their life. Anyone that's here tonight, Father, that hasn't experienced that. Anyone that's ever had those hang-ups that we've talked about in the past four weeks in church, that's some man-made institution, that it's just a religious exercise, (laughs) that it's for Christians only, that it's just a club. Father God, I pray that you, through your Word and your Holy Spirit, have broken through that. Father, I pray that tonight they might come into a real experience through faith in your Son, Jesus, as to what this life, giving life, breathing Christ-centered community this church is. And all the warm, Father, may we continue to move out into this world. May we never be satisfied until we've brought that last drowning person home. Help us help you save people. We pray this in Jesus' name.